Who says the Bible has to be boring? On the contrary, the Bible is the most thrilling book in the world. It's the only book with an invitation to join the very narrative you are reading. My goal is to be like your time-traveling tour guide, taking you into an exploration of scripture in search of precious treasure, timeless, life-giving truths that inform us of who God is, who we are, and how the story of everything really is His story. I invite you to join me as we learn to read the story, trust the story, and live the story, because there's no greater adventure than knowing the God of the Bible. I'm Brayden Brookshire, and this is Adventures in Theology. Have you ever heard a pastor or fellow Christian say something that was just cringeworthy? Man, I bet you and I can go through the list and think of examples. Oh, man. I, in fact, on this podcast, I've even covered one before. Something along the lines of, uh, we should stop saying the phrase, everything happens for a reason. Yep, that phrase just makes me cringeworthy. Addressed it later, or earlier on, I mean. But yeah, so there, there's often these phrases, and for me, today, the one I want to address, and I think is important, especially when you will spell this out, is maybe you've heard it this way, and I'm going to quote it two different ways. First one is, God doesn't want you to be happy. He wants you to be holy. Or said another way, God is not concerned with your happiness. He is concerned with your holiness. And it sounds great from the outset. From the outset, you're like, oh, yeah, like very reverential. <laughs> Let's be holy, not happy. Because happiness is bad. <laughs> so my question is, is this true? And I don't think so. And you've probably heard, if you've been listening to the podcast, you've heard hints that I would not agree with this. But I think this is even just like far from the truth. I think this is like a wrong characterization of God. I think it's a wrong characterization of like the Christian journey and what we're aspiring for and and everything like that. So I want to do something kind of fun today, uh, a little bit different. Um, I actually, if you didn't know, I don't uh, talk about it all the time because I'm not trying to make it seem like I'm always trying to have an ask. But hey, I did publish a book. It's called The Dawn of the New Creation, Exploring the Christian Hope as Told by Revelation. Kindle and paperback, both available on Amazon. Check it out. But yeah, uh, I actually want to read just a few pages from it, and I'll probably stop and make a few comments here or there, and then make some comments afterwards, some things that are not in the book. But the reason why I want to read a portion from it is because I directly address this very thing. And I, I was just like, you know what? I don't want this just to be something in my book. I want this to be something on the podcast too. So uh, again, my problem with is when we say things like God doesn't want you to be happy. He wants you to be holy. I think that's wrong. So uh, I'll start reading from my book. And I'll probably stop myself occasionally, but yeah. So I have this little excursus within a chapter, and this excursus is titled, Infinitely Happy in an Infinitely Happy God. So let's start reading, and let's get into this. The Puritan John Whitlock once said, This is the Christian's way and his end. His way is holiness, his end, happiness. End quote. I cannot reiterate the sheer happiness that should exude from every believer as we cherish the joy of our salvation and the coming of its full benefits. To my mind, it is so unfortunate when Christians say something like, God does not want us to be happy. He wants us to be holy. This frustrates me because it makes it sound like holiness and happiness are inherently at odds with one another. And stepping away from the book for a second, it makes it sound like there's two different journeys. Like you can choose one or the other. You can choose the journey that leads to holiness or you can choose the journey that leads to happiness. I don't think so. Let's keep reading. 
As I study the Bible, I become more and more convinced that the way of holiness is the way of happiness. I hope I've been successful thus, thus far in presenting the idea that the coming new creation is one of both holiness and happiness to their fullest potential. And yet we still have more to unpack, more that should make your heart leap with joy as be considered a grace of God. But don't just take my word for it. I want to share a few thoughts from other noteworthy believers about the intrinsic relationship between holiness and happiness. Which, by the way, I'm about to share something from Spurgeon here. But uh, I have a whole running document in my Google Drive of hundreds of quotes from Charles Spurgeon showing the connection between holiness and happiness. And the reason why I'm going to quote Spurgeon a few times here is because he's really the first one that introduced me to this uh, I'd, I'd heard this phrase throughout my life, God doesn't want you to be happy, he wants you to be holy. But as I read and studied from certain people in the past, one of them being Spurgeon, you know, and I, that doesn't mean I agree with everything Spurgeon says. Side note. But uh, yeah, he's really the one that showed me time and time again as a consistent thing that he preached on to show a connection between the two. So yeah, I wanted to share this with you. Back to the book. Charles Spurgeon, the Prince of Preachers, spoke these words concerning John 15:11. Quote, "A Christian has never fully realized what Christ came to make him until he has grasped the joy of the Lord. Christ wishes his people to be happy. When they are perfect, as he will make them in due time, they shall also be perfectly happy. As heaven is the place of pure holiness, so it's the place of unalloyed happiness." And in proportion, as we get ready for heaven, we shall have some of the joy which belongs to heaven, and it is our Savior's joy. Will that even now, his joy should remain in us, and that our joy should be full. Close quote. And stepping away from the book for a moment. I love that Spurgeon kind of interchanges the words happiness and joy, because uh, if, again, you are anything like me and how you've grown up, or your experience in church... Uh, often we say, you know, happiness is this very circumstantial, flippant thing. Joy is this deep-rooted thing. You know, happiness is bad. It's the way of the world. Joy is of the Lord. Like, well, I, I, I'm all for semantics and dicing up the nuances of words as much as the next guy. And I'm sure there is nuance differences that I would even spell out between happiness and joy. But I love that even in that quote, Spurgeon just uses these two coincide almost like appositionally to like help define each other and explain one another. So yeah, uh, back to the book. Spurgeon, on a different occasion, said, Many people seem to think that it is a very sorrowful thing to be a Christian, that believers in Christ are a miserable, unhappy lot of folk who never enjoy themselves. However, we serve a happy God, and we believe in a joyous gospel. And the love of Christ in our hearts has made us anticipate many of the joys of heaven, even while we are here on earth. Close quote. And still reading the book. Have you ever considered the idea that God is a happy God? I mean, stepping away again. I mean, that's a great question. Have you thought of that? Like, I want you to really ask yourself that, okay? Like, not just reading a book to you here. Have you actually considered the thought that God is happy? That he's a happy God? Because uh, some of us have this idea of God that he's this angry, capricious grandfather in the sky, which there are so, so many wrongs with that phrase I just said. But all of that is wrong. And so... uh, When we think of the attributes of God, one that we must, 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 must hold together with the other attributes is God's happiness, that God is happy. And I believe, if I'm correct, I haven't read this little portion of my book in a while, but I think I'll get into that. So let's keep reading. If we do not believe this truth about God, then we are training ourselves and others to believe that if we 
want holiness, we must go to God. But if we want happiness, we need to run the opposite direction. Do you see the danger in this? We must believe that God is happy and the source of happiness. Otherwise, we will flee to somewhere or someone else for our heart's delight. I would even argue that among the attributes of God is the very attribute of happiness. Bingo. I called it. Okay. Spurgeon preached over 500 times about the intimate relationship between holiness and happiness. Quote, One great part of the joy of the glorified will be the perfection of their characters. For he that is holy must be happy. Perfection of holiness must mean perfection of happiness. This is Spurgeon's words here. The two things must go together. Sin and sorrow cannot be divorced, and holiness and happiness cannot be separated. Oh my gosh, rereading this is so great. Sin and sorrow. If you want to pair things up, uh, you don't pin pair up sin and happiness. You pair up sin and sorrow. If you want to pair something else up, you pair together holiness and happiness. And I love how he says this. They cannot be divorced. They cannot be separated. Man, if this does not make you think this, this is just not kind of make you breathe a sigh of relief. Like, my desire to be happy is not the sin here. In fact, sin is when we seek to find happiness in anyone or anything that is not God. Man, I wish I wrote that in here. Second edition, right? (laughs) Okay, let's keep reading. I'm not saying that we should define happiness the same way the fallen world does. Our culture has definitions of love, peace, and happiness that are all much different from that of scripture. The joy of the Lord I speak of is an indestructible joy. Spurgeon also wrote this. Well, another Spurgeon quote. Quote, believers are not dependent upon circumstances. Their joy comes not from what they have, but from what they are. Not from where they are, but from whose they are. Close quote. That is so good. Spurgeon is so quotable. No wonder I'm just interacting with his words here. Very good. Keep reading the book. We must never underestimate the quality of worship that comes from a happy heart. So true. Whether I'm conscious of it or not, I glorify uh, a place called the taco stand whenever I eat there. I can't believe I just put this in my book. Uh, Yeah, the taco stand. If you live in San Diego County, you must go to the taco stand. Yes, it's called the taco stand. Uh, The location I'm thinking of is in La Jolla. So if you're not in San Diego, come visit and go to the taco stand. It's the best tacos I've ever had. Anyways, um, I enjoy every bite, and I tell everyone I know that is the best taco shop I have ever been to. Of course, I do not worship tacos or any other food I enjoy. I worship God, and I recognize that any holy pleasure granted to me is, as Jonathan Edwards said, only but streams, but God is the fountain. God is the source of all happiness. Any joy I receive should lead me to God and in Him. I can be totally immersed in divine happiness and dive into the infinite depths of His joy. Jesus in John 15, 11, uh, said this, I have spoken these things to you in order that my joy may be in you and your joy may be made complete, Close quote. This verse tells us that Jesus wants to give us the very joy that he himself possesses and that he wishes our joy would be full. Hey, and not a cup half full, but a cup full. Not full of fleeting joy, but full of the joy of the Lord, the very joy of Jesus. Do we believe his words? We forget that one of the reasons Jesus came was to secure for us an indestructible joy. And have we forgotten that one of the fruit of the Spirit is joy? Um, quote Galatians 5, 22 through 23. That means that a natural byproduct of God's Spirit at work in our lives results in joy. 
Isaac Watts, the hymn writer of the timeless Joy to the World, said it best. Religion was never designed to make our pleasure less. I'll say that again. This is quoting Isaac Watts here. Religion was never designed to make our pleasure less. Keep reading the book. The new creation will be a place of infinite, eternal happiness because of God's presence. The ancient context of God's presence being a blessing is literally God's presence happifying the recipients. Um, And then some authors here that I quote call heaven uh, the happifying presence of the glorious God. How cool is that? Instead of it be just putting this like Christian jargon here that God blesses everything in the new creation, it's that the happifying presence of the glorious God. That's so cool. Keep reading. So when all of creation will be permeated with the presence of the triune God, when then all of creation will be happified and all believers will be infinitely happy in the infinitely happy God. And uh, then I close this like part of reading my book. See, I'm already done reading too. Okay, I'll make some comments afterwards. But I, cl- I clo- close this section of uh, my book by a lengthy quote from the Puritan Stephen Charnock. And it's worth reading though. So let me read this to you. Stephen Charnock, I believe I'm saying his name right, said this once. Just listen to this. The happiness depends upon the presence of God with whom believers shall be forever present. Happiness cannot perish as long as God lives. The enjoyment of God will be as fresh and glorious after many ages as it was at first. God is eternal, and eternity knows no change. There will, be, there will then be the fullest possession without any decay in the object enjoyed. There can be nothing past, nothing future. Time neither adds to it nor detracts from it that infinite fullness of perfection which flourish, flourisheth, wow, old English there, awesome, in him now will flourish eternally without any discoloring of it in the least by those innumerable ages that shall run to eternity, much less any despoiling of him them. He will have variety to increase delights and eternity to perpetuate them. This will be the fruit of the enjoyment of an infinite eternal God. He is not a cistern, but a fountain, wherein water is always living and never putrefies. Just quote, quote from Stephen Charnock. Okay, I wanted to read that to you from my book. And by the way, before I share more comments, if this is fun, helpful, I know this is a very different style of the podcast, but I want your feedback as always. So let me know. Reach out to me on Instagram. I'll definitely respond to you uh, if this gives you ideas of what else to talk about. Anyways, so thinking about this relationship between holiness and happiness, thinking about that phrase where, by the way, no, I don't think hardly anyone in church history would have ever chalked up the idea that holiness and happiness are these divergent paths. I think there's a lot of problems here. Let me kind of summarize these as I've read to you, but I've also had further time to think about this. It's not biblically accurate to define holiness as moralism. Holiness is not a synonym for righteous, okay? Biblically speaking, to be holy is a declaration of status. And it, it is an identity, and we love to talk about, uh, talk about our identity. And so, yeah, holiness is part of that identity. It speaks more to the essence of who we are, what we are, actually, what we are, than it does our performance. Now, godly ethics are certainly an outworking of our holy status, but those are an outworking, a byproduct Holiness is ethical by implication, but kind of big word here, ontological by nature. It's, it's, it's ethical in the sense of the moral aspects and components of holiness are the outworking, it's a byproduct, but the ontology, the essence, the being of what we are, what we are in Christ 
That's what holiness is speaking to, the what. Now, I say all this because you cannot earn a holy status. It's a gift bestowed to you by God alone. So in Christ and trusting Jesus and being united to him, you are declared holy, set apart, marked by God for his pleasure and his purpose. And keyword, there's pleasure, like he delights in you, okay? Your actions cannot, listen to this, your, think about this. Your actions cannot merit or demerit your status as holy. Oftentimes we think about holiness as something like, hey, are you growing in holiness, brother? Like, you can't, that's a weird thing to say. You can't grow in holiness. Your actions cannot merit or demerit your status as holy, biblically speaking. However, our actions are important. Our actions will either reflect an accuracy of our identity as holy or an inconsistency of that. In other words, we will uh, basically show that we're living in accordance with who and what we are, or we're going to show that, wait, that's not lining up. You're not living in accordance with who or what you are. We live out the ethics of Christ empowered by the Spirit because we are holy, not to obtain it. Holiness is a status received, not a goal to achieve. So if holiness is a status, then happiness is an experience. Follow me here. This is where we come to a head with all this. If holiness is a status, then happiness is an experience. If we want to experience true, authentic happiness, then we must remain and live in accordance with the holy status God has given us in Christ. In this way, holiness is also a pathway. In that, our lifestyle and outworking of holiness produces a greater experience of happiness, the very happiness of God. Therefore, there's a cause and effect relationship between holiness and happiness. If you and I are truly on a quest for happiness, which I think all of us are, whether we want to admit it or not, we want to be happy. Come on, who doesn't want to be happy? If you and I are truly on a quest for happiness, the real thing I'm talking about that God is and that God gives, so it's an attribute of God, God is happy. <laughs> the real thing that God is that and that God gives, not on the terms and the way that culture would define it, but if we really are on a quest for happiness, the kind that comes from God, then holiness is our way. Holiness as our status is also the pathway to, ach- not achieving, the wrong word here, to experiencing. There we go. There we go. <laughs> Holiness as our status is also our pathway. You know, uh, kind of like we use this even in English when we say, uh, let's walk a certain way, let's live a certain way. Um, in Hebrew and in Greek, there's a very similar word that they would use to talk about lifestyle as a walk. And so in a similar sense, holiness is, an, uh, it is what you are. It's your status in Christ. He has called you holy. You cannot merit it. You can't demerit it. You can live in accordance with it or inconsistent of it. But uh, it's also that pathway. We walk in that. We walk in that reality that we are holy. And because that holiness then becomes the pathway. What's the pathway lead to? Happiness. And I've quoted this in my book, but I want to quote, close today's podcast episode by quoting it again, because you probably bypassed it already. But as a benediction to you, and we already said this, but as a benediction, quoting the words of the Puritan John Whitlock, this is the Christian's way and his end. His way is holiness. His end is happiness. May you delight and find ever-increasing happiness in the happy God as you live and abide in the holiness he has granted to you. 
So as opposed to the very outset of God not desiring us to be happy but to be holy, I pray that you and I would be both holy and happy in Christ. We'll see you next time on Adventures in Theology.